Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm my friend Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we're welcoming in, uh, welcoming back, I should say, Jackson Moore of Cardinal 247. He covers the Stanford Cardinal Forest within the 24-7 Sports Network. We're going to talk a lot about this big Pac-12 North football game. Uh, the undefeated 4-0 Oregon Ducks are coming to town, number three ranking in the co- in the country. And they're facing Stanford, who's 3-1, and one, who's kind of turned things around a little bit um, after that bad opening week loss uh, to TCU or to Kansas State, excuse me. Um, Jackson, first and foremost, just is there a buzz? Or excuse me, Stanford's 2-2. Two and two. Uh, They lost last week to UCLA. But nonetheless, it feels like this team is playing better. Um, is there a little bit of a buzz around this team? Because it does feel like, you know, they are a team that's starting to turn a corner here a little bit. Is there a yeah. buzz? And um, I know I can see why it would be a little confusing since I covered the Cal side as well. They're, they're <laughs> the ones that lost to Kansas – they lost to uh, TCU. <laughs> Stanford's the one that lost to Kansas State. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals, uh, the, uh, the Cardinal quickly rebounded and uh, looked a lot better, of course, beating USC and uh, winning at Vanderbilt, which is not a, a high bar to pass uh, for <laughs> most Power Five teams, but uh, was certainly uh, something that was encouraging the way they played coming off that first game, which was just yeah, not, not very pretty. Uh, last weekend against UCLA, um, you know, there was a it was kind of a mix. I mean, there was their first home game with fans in two years. Uh, they only played one home game at all last year. It was empty. And uh, the students came out in full force. They had uh, 7,500 students, which was a record for Stanford. It's like more than the whole uh, undergraduate <laughs> enrollment, I think they said. And um, But the rest of the crowd was a little sparse. Uh, they reported almost 48,000 in attendance out of a 50,000-seat stadium, and it was not not close to that. <laughs> it was uh, pretty sparse. It was pretty quiet. And I was a little surprised by that. So I'm curious to see if number three, Oregon, coming in uh, gets a little energy a little bit uh, higher around Stanford Stadium. But, um, you know, overall, they, the, the momentum kind of died down real quick due to some injury issues, some uh, COVID-related speculation about some players missing and uh, knew that they weren't quite going into UCLA at full strength, and they, they put on a competitive game, and it was encouraging for a while, but I don't think too many people were surprised by the way it, it ultimately turned out. And um, still kind of wait and see if they can get to full strength here for this Oregon game. Because I think at full strength, the way they looked in their two wins, people thought this team was, was going to be competitive. Uh, I just don't think they're quite as talented and deep enough to uh, afford some key losses that they've had and, and still play with the team like Oregon. Jackson, can you give us an injury update or an update? I know I know some of it was COVID protocol stuff, and that's always tough to kind of parse through and try to understand. And I'm sure that they're extra careful in terms of how to talk about those specific things. What, what do we know? Because this isn't just a couple of players; these are some pretty significant guys that are that are out at, at and all at most of them at one position, which just never helps things. Kind of compounds matters. Yeah, the the position deal is probably the toughest thing. Um, I mean, they could afford to lose some players here and there, but for them all to be at one position, they really decimated the running game. Uh, at running back, Stanford has played four players pretty consistently. Austin Jones has been the star, but they've had three others that all have a role, and only one of them has been uh, healthy enough to play. 
Um, that is Nathaniel Pete. He was the starter last weekend. He's usually a guy that takes about five to ten snaps. He had to play every single snap. He was the only scholarship running back in uniform last weekend. Uh, Austin Jones, the star, was out. He's questionable this week. Uh, Casey Filkins is one of those change of pace kind of guys from Oregon. Uh, he was out last week, questionable this week. And EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's son, has uh, got a injury that is of the ankle, not of anything that can be speculated otherwise. And he is out uh, for this week. So the the thing is that even if these questionable players come back, it sounds like they're not going to have enough practice time under their belt or enough time with the staff to put the game plan together since they're kind of waiting day in and day out to see mm -hmm. if they're going to be cleared when they can get on the practice field. So I think the plan is at least what basically what coach Shaw said this week was that it's pretty much up to Pete to carry the load again. And if they get some of these extra guys back for a couple of snaps, great. Um, if not, they're just going to have to to roll with it and running game didn't look too pretty <laughs> last week. Pete had like two yards of carry if, if that, and then the, um, there's been a couple other players sprinkled out. They missed uh, tight end Ben Urosik. He's supposed to be back this week. And in the defensive backfield, uh, they had Noah Williams out at safety. It looks like he's going to come back because, uh, you know, they've already are missing some legitimate injuries in the secondary. And it's just one of those things where uh, some of the players that have been out more recently are not the key guys, but it's at the point where now they're at third stringers and freshmen and guys filling in those gaps. So that's been uh, the challenge there. What would you say, like when I typically think of Stanford football, um, Jim Harbaugh started it. David Shaw has done a really good job of maintaining this identity, this brand, if you want to call it that, that Stanford's always going to have just a, a bunch of just really athletic, really big, guys that are tight ends and receivers um they always have kind of a power running attack and their quarterback for the most part is going to be a pocket passer and then on the defensive side of the football they are just a juggernaut to run against and they control the line of scrimmage and they play really sound football how close is that team to what we've kind of grown to expect from stanford the last 10 or 15 years. Is this team close to that standard or are they going to be a little bit different than your typical Stanford football team? I say they're, they're closer to it right now than they have been the last couple of years. Um, Davis Mills was a guy that they kind of let throw the ball around a lot more than typically. Uh, they spread the ball out a little bit more. Um, this offense, when the running backs were at full strength, was one that they planned on leaning on the running attack, being a power run team and balance their, uh, using the, that to open up the passing game. Very similar on, on defense where they haven't been very good the last couple of years. And uh, the biggest thing they've been able to do is just get healthy. The linebackers, both inside and out, have really, really struggled with injuries. Uh, not just one guy. I mean, it's been the majority of the group uh, the last couple of years. And just about everyone's on the field now. That's what they were really hanging their hat on this offseason, uh, to be an improved defense. And um, it's mostly played into effect. They haven't been overly great against the run like you would expect. Um, they, they did hold UCLA to four yards per carry, which was their best showing. Uh, the previous games, they gave up some big chunk runs and some big touchdown runs that really, at least statistically, you know, made the other 80% of the plays that they ran uh, pretty useless statistically. So uh, it's, it's you're pretty on point, you know, covering 
Mountain West football for most of my career and Cal the last couple of, of years, uh, you really hit the nail on the head. Just my first look at a Stanford practice, I was like, man, these guys <laughs> do not look like anything I've covered before, which I didn't expect the leap to be that great from a Cal, especially right, right across the bay. I mean, the linemen are huge. Like you mentioned, the receivers are huge. Um, the skills players are all ripped. I mean, they are totally maximized in the weight room and, it was just – it's hard to look at those guys after viewing a Cal and a Fresno State and a San Jose State practice and thinking they were only going to win four games like a lot of the odds makers had said. And I thought if they could get good quarterback play, they would definitely exceed expectations. They're getting that from McKee. Unfortunately, they've had some breakdowns now at running back and secondary. And um, it's going to be tough again this week, but I think you'll see a team that – in the second half of the season, if they can get to full strength, could really embody a lot of the traditional Stanford things you're talking about. You you touched on quarterback and Tanner McKee being the quarterback replaced Jack West in the opener against Kansas State. I think he's really impressive, and I think somebody who has a really high ceiling, both as a collegiate quarterback and, and probably at the next level. What is the perception of him? Was he? Ex- I know obviously he wasn't a starter day one. Was the thought kind of? Hey, Jack will be the guy for the year. He'll build Tanner will build up behind him, and, and this will be the next guy in Tanner McKee. Like, is this supposed to be a 2022 Tanner McKee is the starter kind of situation, or, or is this kind of what people had envisioned would happen by this point in the season? Yeah, the the perception from the way I've seen it, it started starting to cover the team in the spring. Uh, you know, spring practices were closed. There was only really the Oregon game last year that fans got a chance to see these two guys uh, in the most recent since. And then in the spring game, I mean, McKee was head and shoulders better than West. You're, you're only talking about uh, the small amount of reps, right. you know, only so many passing attempts. But in that limited amount, I mean, there was no competition. McKee was head and shoulders better. And so the perception, I think, from that point on was that McKee was going to start eventually. They were, uh, Coach Shaw was going to lean on his senior quarterback and give him as much of a chance to win the job as possible before putting in the sophomore um, but that's kind of the way that was believed it was going to run. And then in fall camp, I mean, just being there myself, the separation wasn't there. Um, McKee, I mean, again, small sample size, but I didn't see a lot of great things from McKee, to be frank. And the gap, I mean, him and West were pretty even. And I thought, well, maybe the senior gets the nod. And that's how it kind of played out in the opening week. And when they got on the field and uh, had to prove who's the gamer, it really showed that McKee was the same guy we saw. Uh, the difference was very similar to the spring where – McKee, for the most part, ran the offense pretty well. West threw a couple of picks, was not very close. And now the way McKee's played the last – even the, the loss against UCLA, I think he's really established himself and earned a lot of trust that he's going to be the guy for a few years now. What has he done differently, though? Like, where has he improved in, in this time? You know, um, just in, in practice, it was – I don't even know how to explain it. Just some simple passes didn't look all that great. Uh, like too much touch. You know, he's six foot six. He's got long arms, long. I mean, it, sometimes it takes a little while to get the ball out. And um, by the time it does and the touch, it, I mean, it, it, there's just a lot of deflected balls, even some picks downfield. And man, he is, he, I don't know what it was. Something has very much clicked for him on Saturdays. I mean, he, yeah. he gets it out a lot faster. He's got a really strong arm. He's, you know, again, uh, at his size, he can still move pretty well. They let him run the ball a little bit in short yardage situations, and he can take off even uh, in other situations if he needs to. He's got a couple of long runs, but you know, he's just been very efficient. I think is just the best way to put it. I don't think 
you know, if we talk to you guys about Fresno State and Jake Hayner, I don't know if I want McKee running out shotgun four receivers every play, you know, trying to sling the ball around. I don't know if he's that guy, but you put him in a pro set, a West Coast offense, and kind of set up the passing plays, and he will execute what you need him to do. That kind of just segued right into my next question with the uncertainty of who's available at running back and, and whatnot. Does does the game plan maybe have to gravitate a little bit to leaning on Tanner McKee a little bit more than what they maybe typically would want um, because they're maybe more healthy at receiver and tight end than they are hmm. at running back? Or, or is it still – hey, Pete's our guy. He's so much better than any other option that we have. We have to ride with him until the wheels fall off. Yeah, I think it, it's got to be a bit of a middle ground. It's just they tried to run their offense the way they normally do the first couple of drives and just ended up hunting real quick against UCLA. Then you have a Bruins team that goes on two long drives to start the game and you're down 14-0 and you still haven't figured out what you can do offensively uh, with what you've got uh, from that point on. Uh, they were really formidable offensively, and you know the the way that the offense looks didn't change a whole lot. But they did take a lot more shots downfield, and they weren't you know just pass obvious situations. They were able to get guys in one on one situations and just win jump balls and deep passes, and that accounted for three touchdowns right there. So um, it's it's trying to set up big passing plays without having to go five wide and and really you know having to convert on third and 10 and that's the kind of stuff it's trying to catch defenses off guard as much as you can uh, when they know that you can't run the ball too well. I guess I'm curious what's changed from that Kansas state loss aside from Tanner McKee. Um, obviously that's a big change at quarterback, but Kansas state loss, I think there were some other things that stood out that were particularly impressive. It wasn't all quarterback play. Has there been enough shifts? I mean, have there been significant shifts other than it's a different quarterback or, how would you explain it? Because I, I think you look at what they've done since Kansas State and you kind of wonder, man, if if things had played out differently against the Wildcats, maybe they're looking a little differently right now and the perception of this team is, is different too. Yeah. Um, you know, offensively, it is mostly quarterback play, I think. Um, but part of it was just first game for both for two different quarterbacks pretty much. You've got both guys having delay of game penalties. They had a bunch of um, holding penalties, a bunch of just – procedural pre-snap kind of stuff that derailed drives, especially for McKee, um, who was the one that got the ball down the field. But just about every time uh, they would have about a 10-yarder that set them back and they got they put themselves out of field goal range like two or three times. Um, I think defensively is probably the biggest improvement. Um, you know, the Kansas State scored most of their points on long just breakoff runs and, and scores of that nature. And it still happened against the Vanderbilt and such, but um, the inside linebackers and the, the other newly healthy players discussed earlier, they really hadn't meshed too well together. They've been around a long time, but they haven't had a lot of game opportunities together. And I think that is starting to, to form and you're seeing a, a run defense that's quite a bit stronger and um, uh, some safeties that are breaking in a little bit more, playing more than they anticipated are also – starting to, to get a little more comfortable. So, uh, you know, not a whole lot other than switching quarterbacks and getting past your game one jitters uh, for the most part. What's like the big, what, what's the concern for Stanford in this game? Like when you, when you look at this matchup, um, what, 
is it a player? Is it a, a down and distance situation to avoid or, or, or what have you, but what, what are, what are the things that you're just like, boy, this, this could get scary if, if these things happen. I think there's a few things. Um, I think just of course running the ball based off what happened last week is a concern. It's just, you know, they Stanford stayed in that game and it was tied in the fourth quarter, but you just know if you're Stanford and you're built on running the ball and you can't do it, it's going to bite you after 60 minutes. Um, the other thing for me is uh, just line of scrimmage play overall. Um, one of the injuries not mentioned is Branson Bragg, one of the starting linemen. He's out abruptly this week. And, you know, the Cardinal haven't been great on the defensive line. Thomas Booker is a, a really good defensive end. Um, otherwise, you know, it's not a stellar D-line group. And when you're playing a team like Oregon that's so physical and so effective at being physical, um, you just worry about um, the Ducks' ability to control both sides of the line of scrimmage, but especially if they can run the ball um, efficiently, effectively, and regularly, it's going to be tough for the Cardinal to get the Ducks off the field. And then likewise, you know, if they are exerting more um, emphasis into stopping the run, do they have enough secondary guys to keep Oregon from beating them over the top? Uh, that's kind of what we saw last weekend against UCLA where, Stanford is in a groove defensively, stopping the run, and Kyle Phillips hits them for like a 75-yard touchdown pass. So mm -hmm. that's something, uh, like even in some of the best-case scenarios for Stanford, I could still see one of those definitely popping its ugly head for the Cardinal. Does You mentioned the injuries along the offensive line. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau is expected to be back. Like, could that be, like, full go? Could that be, like, the matchup that really dictates – this game one way or the other if if Thibodeau's healthy and they can't block him is that or is the or do they feel like the offensive line is prepared where they can handle the pass rush at Oregon because that's probably Oregon's kryptonite right now is the lack of a pass rush but it's probably because Thibodeau hasn't been healthy yet for for every game except for one quarter of Fresno State yeah um the, the tackles are going to be there um still just the overall line play has not quite been up to par perhaps for stanford especially when that's really what they're known for a lot of the times um it's a real junior heavy group that has played quite a bit but they just haven't been able to be dominant uh they've just been kind of average to this point and so when you throw in someone like Thibodeau, uh that's definitely going to be a concern for the cardinal um yeah i don't know if it's really a one-on-one -on -one matchup. I mean, Stanford's got some, they've got a near five-star guy at right tackle, but he's a sophomore still breaking in, a four-star guy at left tackle. It shouldn't be a too big of a talent disparity, but just the O-line as a whole has not been really uh, effective. And again, not just Thibodeau, but a few other guys Oregon has in the front seven is going to be unlike anything they've seen so far and could get a, could be ugly there if there's occasional uh, breakdowns in that, on the line. Let's talk a little bit about Stanford's defense. Um, two questions, two parts of this question. If the entire defense is healthy, which group is the strongest? And as things are right now, which group would you say, like, what's the strength of this defense? Yeah, I think if fully healthy, it's the secondary. I mean, Coach Shaw has really been banging his drum for cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly, who is healthy and he's having a pretty good run. Had a, it's like a sports center top 10 pick in that week one loss. Um, and then they had a safety, Jonathan McGill, who was supposed to kind of be the one-two punch. And uh, they haven't had McGill at all. He came up to came into camp with a foot injury and hasn't been able to play. 
And, and then there's uh, it's just been kind of raining down since then. The number two cornerbacks, Lane Turner, Muhammad, injured in preseason, hasn't been able to play. Ethan Bonner, number three cornerback, has been hurt ever since the first game, pretty much. Um, their safety, Kendall Williamson, missed, uh, or Noah Williams went down with an injury last week. He's supposed to be back, but they're already down one safety. It's just been a barrage there. And uh, a lot of freshmen and sophomores have had to fill the gaps. And so it's not the group that was anticipated. Uh, it may not be at all by the end of the year. Um, right. So they're kind of making do with what they've got. Um, probably the inside linebacker group, I might give the nod. Uh, there's four guys that play, and three of them, as mentioned, have not really been able to stay on the field the last couple of years. So these are probably the most talented players on the team, and they're finally getting their shot to show what they can do. Uh, you've got a few other pieces. Gabe Reed, an outside linebacker, that kind of brings the linebacker room together, and a couple of guys here and there on the D-line. But I think the inside linebacker is probably top to bottom the strongest group right now. When you look at this matchup, um, for me, I kind of think this is a game that's going to, for Oregon, they want to score and probably if they can build an early lead that's a three-score lead, you know, that might put this game in a tough reach for Stanford. Um, what What's kind of the number, like the range that that Stanford wants this game to be played at? It, like, do should we expect Stanford to come out and just go full ball control and and shorten the game where if, say, in a normal instance, the Oregon's going to get 12 possessions, but they're playing against Stanford, it's, it's now like, hey, you might only get the ball seven or eight times because if Stanford has their way, they're going to just milk the clock down every single play and shorten this game down. What, what's kind of the, that range that Stanford wants this game to be played in? Yeah, I think they would prefer to go that way. I don't think there's much confidence inside or out that they can with the running game the way it is right now. Um, I mean, it's only going to get tougher <laughs> this week uh, unless they, I mean, some of these running backs make their way back and they're more available than they've let on. Uh, otherwise, it's kind of survival on offense. Uh, try to establish the running game, but just be as balanced as you can and uh, have as many positive possessions as you can. They were kind of few and far between last week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's less about how they want to play the game and how they can stay in the game, I think, offensively. Um, that, that's going to be, I think, the way that they approach it, unless, again, they've got Austin Jones back and they're keeping it under wraps. I'm going to go a little off script here, a little deviation, and just ask you what's been – this is your first year covering Stanford football. You cover a lot of things. By the way, those listening probably remember you from our Fresno State podcast. We'll have you on in two weeks when we have Cal coming up because another team to cover. Um, what what like, what like have been like maybe a, a thing or two that have surprised you just about how Stanford operates? Like, is, is there anything David Shaw does? Because, again, you're familiar with how big football programs operate covering a bunch of them. What does Stanford do differently than maybe some other schools? Yeah, I think, well, in our deal of covering recruiting, it's been just a whole different world. <laughs> I, mean, um, I think uh, they have a new offensive line coach, Terry Heffernan, and uh, talking to him, he says said something to the effect of, you know, everyone says we recruit differently wherever we're at, but Stanford is really a different ballgame, not just the mentality, but, I mean, just what they can do. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the academics. It's very difficult. And uh, a lot of has to be prepared uh, well ahead of time to make sure you're on path to, to be a Cardinal. I mean, he puts together, uh, they put together a board and 
a lot of the guys get struck off, not because anything to do with athletics. I mean, not because they're poor academic students. It's just not, not going to be Stanford quality academics. So that's been, I mean, that, that aspect's been a different one. And it's interesting to see how they handle offers. They don't do too many of them. It's really a, a short board and they've seemed to be effective still going that route. And then on the field, um, you know, just mentioning kind of getting my first glance around practice, there's definitely, it looks a lot more like being around a, a pro deal rather than uh, some of the other schools I've covered. Uh, the facilities are really nice. They've got two full grass fields and a turf field. Um, so that's pretty neat. Um, I mean, Cal always practices in their stadium. Fresno State's got a patch of grass in the ponding basin that's more often muddy than <laughs> it's grass. So it's definitely a, a top-notch deal that they've got going there. And, um, I mean, they seem to be making the most of it. It's just it's been a little bit frustrating with the, the production they put out there the past couple of years. And there seems to be a sense that it's they're going to get it back on track, but it's, it's probably taken a little bit longer now <laughs> than many people have the patience for. I think when Oregon and Stanford, when they play each other, um, it, it always feels pretty competitive. Um, and I have a hard time thinking of a lot of games. I mean, it, it happens. Um, where these games turn into blowouts. But, you know, last year it was 35-14, and I think people were a little surprised at how close, maybe how close that was. Um, Oregon went down to Stanford two years ago, and they only scored 21 points. They won 21-6, to but, it, you know, your offense only scored 21 points. They lost in overtime 38-31 to back in 2018. Um, it was a blowout in Stanford's favor in 1749 to 7. Um, and then again, the year before that in 2016, 52 to 27. But again, that 15 game down Stanford, a two point win, literally came down to the last play of the game. Um, a lot of close scores are always are riddled in this rivalry. How do you feel like this game could play out? I, I'm, not, I'm judging by what you're. You're saying you probably don't expect Stanford to win. They are an eight and a half point underdog. That feels unusual to me. Like it doesn't feel right to me. Do, do you do you buy in the fact that that Oregon's a you know an eight point favorite in this game, or are you you know, or is it more likely in your eyes that we get dealt another close game? Yeah, I think the line's fair. I mean, I think it's going to be really tough for Stanford to win this game, even at home. Um, I do think they're going to try to make it as ugly as possible. And I think even with some of the deficiencies they may have at some key positions due to just lack of availability, they just, I mean, I think the overall talent level is a lot better um, in the roster than uh, the record has shown in the last couple of years. And I think they're going to find a way to just make it kind of as ugly as possible to stay in it. I mean, that UCLA game last week, it was 21-7. I thought, I was ready to start writing up a recap. It was a lopsided loss. And the next thing you know, Stanford's defense kind of wakes up and they throw two big touchdowns and all of a sudden it's a tie game. And Cardinal are looking at potentially getting out of there with the win. Of course they didn't. But uh, it's a team that um, they have enough to compete. Um, I think if they're at full strength, you would get that even game. Um, ultimately, I do think they're a, probably a, a touchdown plus underdog based on what they've got right now. But 
I don't think it'll be quite a blowout. I think it, I mean, it might be a game that is looks lopsided and the final score is not so much. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised by that at all, but um, it's not a game quite to write off Stanford. I think, again, you look at just top to bottom, the talent is not what a losing Pac-12 team should have. They, they're pretty well stocked at a lot of positions, just unfortunately um, they're, they're lacking some key pieces right now. What? And I don't want to write off the outcome of this game, but what would constitute a successful season from here for Stanford? Um, they're two and two right now. We'll, we'll let's we'll pretend like the Oregon game's not on the schedule because I don't want you to speak like they're going to lose or going to win because that seems kind of unnecessary. Rest of the schedule is tough though. I mean, they play a lot of really good teams from here. Um, what, like, how how real does it feel to get bowl eligible? I mean, just looking at their schedule, how realistic does it feel they could? contend for a Pac-12 championship? Like, did, did those sort of things ring as possibilities right now? Or, or is this kind of where, – where, where is your perspective, I guess, of where you think the season might be headed? Yeah, I mean, the, this game is going to be pretty telling just because, I mean, the, this is their third game, third, uh, third conference game. All of them have been ranked so far. I mean, if Stanford could win two out of three and get a game jump on Oregon, I mean, you, the <laughs> confidence goes sky high pretty quick. I, I'm not anticipating that's going to happen, but – um, you know, as mentioned, it's a pretty tough schedule. They've still got to deal with Notre Dame at the end of the year on top of the conference play. They've got all 12 teams on the schedule or power five schools. I think they're the only school in the nation that's doing that this year. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of, a, it's tough to tell because I think last year people were kind of saying in, around the program were thinking that they were close to back and then you've got, um, Odds makers putting them at four wins over under. And then so now thoughts of maybe being a Pac-12 contender kind of dropped down to just get into a bowl game would be kind of successful. So, yeah, it's it's tough because the standard's been so high at Stanford recently. And just being bowl eligible is nothing to write home about. But in terms of the projection of the program, the trajectory it would be, I mean, they got to go have a winning season, I think. And they've got to have something that gives them momentum going into next year and building around Tanner McKee and making a run at this thing while he's here. Wrapping up uh, this podcast, Jackson, just kind of what are maybe the keys to the game? Like not necessarily Stanford, like what are just the storylines you think will dictate this game? Yeah, I think the the running game for Stanford is the big one, of course. I mean, if they can't run, it's going to be really, really tough for them, make things a lot easier for Oregon, of course. Um, I think turnovers, of course, it's not a, I mean, it's a bland answer, but Stanford has not turned the ball over since week one in that loss. They were both two interceptions by the quarterback who is not the quarterback right now. And uh, this is a, a Cardinal team that hasn't had to face very many instant uh, adversity moments. Um, they pretty much controlled the game against USC and against Vanderbilt and UCLA was kind of a team that just wore them down and, um, kind of slowly but quickly took that 14-0 lead and was still a time to recover. So, I mean, this is a, a game where if Oregon hits the big play or the momentum swinging play, it's going to be a bit of a test to Stanford mentally, especially if they're doing everything they can just to play even. Uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a gut punch, I think. So that's something I would watch for there. And then, uh, again, big plays defensively. I think the Cardinal have enough in the front seven to sell out and try and stop the run. Um, they haven't been great, but I think they've got enough to do it. 
and uh, then you worry about leaving guys on an island and missing that big passing play. So those are kind of the, the three factions I look at Stanford and say, if they can um, be on the positive side of those three things, this game gets really interesting. If they're on the negative side of all three, it could be even more lopsided than uh, it, might, it might be otherwise. He is Jackson Moore. Go to Cardinal247 to read more about Stanford. And uh, Jackson, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And we'll definitely uh, see you on Saturday afternoon at, at Cardinal Stadium. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Talk to you later, folks.